0: This episode is brought to you in part by the Table Podcast from the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Darrell Bach, one of the hosts, and I invite you to join us as we discuss issues of God and culture, which includes anything and everything. Listen on your podcast app or at dts.edu slash the table.
1: When Mike Cosper came up with the idea of the name the Bulletin, he said it had kind of a double meaning. It would evoke both the old school breaking news bulletins that would come into a television program or radio program. And it would also call us back to the bulletins that used to be, and sometimes still are, given out at the front of a church service. It's combining news and gospel Christianity. And that's what we try to do every week here on the bulletin. We talk about what's happening in news and culture, And then we gather guests who are experts on those issues to talk about this in a way that's not hackish, fear-mongering, but that actually will look at these things through the grid of biblical Christianity and how our faith in Christ informs the way that we see this. And so really, the more I think about it every week when we get together and do the bulletin, those two meanings kind of converge because— The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's the best breaking news bulletin of all time, and that's what we try to keep as our center here on the bulletin. It is hard to believe that the year is halfway done. And at the end of last year, those of you who have been listening all along, and I know many of you are new listeners, but at the end of last year, we shared some predictions about what we thought this year might hold and what we hoped to see. For today's episode of The Bulletin, we're going to share that segment. So you can tell, what did we get right? Are things going the way we looked? How wrong were we? You can be the judge by listening to today's episode. Next week, Mike Cosper will have a really interesting interview with author Harrison Scott Key. And then we'll take a little bit of a break for July the 4th, celebrating Independence Day. And we will be right back with you on July the 12th, talking about the news, life, the country, the world all in the perspective of the gospel of Jesus Christ.
0: All right, so the year is coming to an end. We're recording this on the Thursday before Christmas, and I imagine some people might be listening a few days after Christmas. So looking back at 2022, we wanted to talk a little bit about some of the stories that we thought mattered the most, issues that we thought mattered the most, Looking forward, looking backward at both of these. I shot some questions your way. I've got some ideas as well. Let's start looking backward. What do you think mattered for the church in 2022?
1: I think part of what mattered to the church was the larger political context. What's happening with Donald Trump? Is this actually a loosening of his hold upon particularly white evangelical Christianity or not? Is it just a post-access Hollywood sort of lull? I think that's going to matter quite a bit in 2023 and 2024. But also, I think the breakup of denominations, that we see this theme taking place of denominations that are melting down, whether it's the United Methodist Church splitting apart over sexuality issues, the Southern Baptist Convention in scandal and decline over sexual abuse issues and other things, the anger quotient we talked about a little bit earlier, and many other sort of denominational and ministry structures that are proving themselves to be really fragile. And I think that actually points to something bigger in American life, just as it did. A lot of the Protestant denominational structures that we have in American life right now are the result of the years before the Civil War, when northern groups and southern groups were splitting apart. We may be seeing the same thing, just with different categories now. That's going to be something to watch, I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think related to all of that, the end of row this year, yeah. just an, an enormous decision to, you know, which has put abortion back at a state level. In some ways, it's reignited the abortion debate. But I sense that as a matter of sort of national politics, I think some of the fever around that's going to actually have burned out and it sets the table for, you know, you, you've had this conservative coalition that really came together maybe a decade or so after the Roe decision, maybe a little less than that. But this conservative coalition that came together where evangelicals really got locked in to that relationship with the Republican Party. And so I'm looking forward and wondering now that that decision has been made, how much is that going to change that voting block? Does that open a door to, I doubt it opens a door to third party, but to different kinds of conversations about Mm -hmm. what it means to be conservative, what it means to be progressive or liberal and thrown into the mix of everything else that's happening with populism inside both parties. To me, it just creates a whole lot of uncertainty. Yeah. All right. So 2022 theology story of the year. Do you feel like there's something that sort of brought big theological questions to the forefront?
1: Well, I think the theological story is how little theology there actually was, even Mm -hmm. among the people who are the most theologically inclined. So you think about what the big controversies tended to be. They were either fake issues such as uh, critical race theory, Mm -hmm. moral panic taking place. There is such a thing as critical race theory, but it's not the way that it was being used in a demagogue-like fashion in many corners, the rise of Christian nationalism and the conversations around that. Many of these things, theology is almost a covering of things that are much more primal and fallen. I think we're accustomed to seeing that in the populist masses of church life. What I think we see right now is that the so-called theologians are often adapting themselves to that as well. And so we don't see very much careful reflection or theology at all.
0: Yeah, that was almost exactly one of my own notes is that theological conversations have been supplanted by cultural issues, political issues amongst people who normally would be talking about those things. Even inside denominations, the splits aren't necessarily being defined by theological issues as much as sort of being driven from the other direction from the cultural yeah. direction. All right, 2022 political takeaway. We've had the midterm elections and gosh, too much to too much to list and in, in terms of and to recount. What do you take away from 2022?
1: Democracy is not dead and I mean the idea of protecting democracy in a bipartisan way. That's not dead. If you look at who the big losers were in 2022, they were election-denying democracy Mm -hmm. skeptics. And this is after an entire year of people saying, people don't care about this. They don't care about the constitutional order. They don't care about the January 6th committee and their findings. You need to just move on from that. Well, the American people did. And Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that you'll notice in every one of these close elections was that in many cases, the margin of error was being decided by Republicans who said, Mm -hmm. we're not going to go for this. So you can see really mainstream pro-democracy sorts of very conservative Republicans, such as Mike DeWine, winning very easily. And you see the election deniers, Blake Masters, Kerry Lake, Doug Mastriano, and others, losing. And so I think that was a key takeaway, that we're not as far down the anti-democracy authoritarian sort of line as some of us feared.
0: Yeah, I think the other reality that we saw in all of this is that nobody's really that popular either. A lot of the margins, you know, you have the exception probably of the elections in Florida, but a lot of the the margins are incredibly small. The voters have delivered, you know, divided government. And there's a great interview. There's a podcast called Call Me Back. It's hosted by a guy named Dan Senor. And he had Yuval Levine on, who I I know is a friend of yours. And, you know, this was one of Yuval's big points is that we don't have The same kind of parties that you once had in the past. You have two minority parties that are very unpopular, that have learned to cater to their most radical bases. And as a result, sort of the majority of the country is looking at both of these and seeing extremes on one side saying things like, you know, abolish ICE, defund the police, you know, two years ago, and looking today at things like what you saw in the election denials or the nominations of people like Mastriano and Herschel Walker and saying, this is appalling as well. So I think the takeaway ought to be thoughtfulness on the part of party leaders on either side to say, is there a way to build a coalition that's broader than this radical base? And I think, you know, there's all kinds of reasons in terms of party politics why that's going to be really difficult. But I I think to a certain extent, like this broad theme of lack of leadership in our country, leaders don't know how to sort of show up, inspire You mentioned Zelensky earlier. There's an example of somebody who knows how to sort of stand up and communicate something meaningfully. And that was actually the second thought I had on this politics takeaway is part of the brilliance of Zelensky is that this is a guy who knows how to stand up in front of the camera he knows how to say things that connect to people's hearts. He knows how to communicate in modern media, even social media. Like some of his most powerful moments, I think, this year were when the rumors emerged that he was dead or he had escaped or whatever, and he shows up on the streets, Instagram or whatever it was, and he's like, we're right here, you know, and you hear the explosions yeah. in the background. Related to that, I thought, you know, one of the brilliant you know strokes of genius of the January 6th committee was that they hired a television producer to help them put those things together. You know, when that first came out, there was a lot of hype around, this is going to be a circus and and they're doing this all for hype or whatever. What you saw though, was that That producer helped them craft the way they communicated what they had to say in a way that I think you see in the results of the midterm elections as well. Communication matters.
1: Yeah, and it's crafting it not with a lack of substance. I mean, I think that's what a lot of people Mm -hmm. thought is, oh, well, is this just going to be reality TV fluff? and it was not. I mean, it was serious, serious substance. The January 6th committee report coming out over 800 pages, not even including all of the appendix materials. That was substantive work, and it was substantive work that was done saying, how do we actually communicate this to people in ways they can understand it?
0: All right. 2022 was the end of an era for fill in the blank.
1: Complementarianism as we know it. And for those who aren't familiar with this, this is uh, the argument going on for a long time within evangelical circles about the role of women in church life. And I say that as somebody who is a complementarian of a type. But what we saw was that the divisions between complementarianism as a party, we're not for women in pastoral ministry, and egalitarianism as a party. We are for women in pastoral ministry, aren't actually where the divisions are. So you ended up seeing people who were egalitarians who are saying, I'm an egalitarian, and I believe that Father, Son, Holy Spirit are categories we ought to keep, and I believe that there are differences between men and women that are important. And you have a lot of us who are complementarians looking around and saying, wait a minute, there actually is a lot of misogyny and hurting of women here. There actually is a price that is being paid for the fact that women are not at a lot of these tables. And so I think all of those old coalitions are being remixed in some interesting ways for the years ahead.
0: It's funny, my phrase literally written word for word is cryptocurrency as we know it. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> I don't think this is the end of cryptocurrency necessarily, but, you know, between the sort of crypto king story coming out of Canada, there's one after another. And then, of course, the story we talked about last week with Sam Bankman-Fried and the collapse of this other crypto exchange. I think
1: we're going to see that look very differently. You know, the good thing about that is I don't understand cryptocurrency. And so I just think, okay, well, maybe I won't have to. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I can't understand it. Like, okay, well, maybe it'll be gone. Uh.
0: Yeah. All right. 2022 was the year of?
1: I think uh, 2022 was the year, as we already talked about, of exhaustion, anger and Mm -hmm. exhaustion. And that's why I'm hoping for something new.
0: My note is I think 2022 was the year of the return of royal family tabloid obsession. Um, ah. starting with what I think was a good season of remembrance of the queen, but now you have this sort of takeover of palace intrigue around Harry and Megan. I don't have much to say about it. I just, every time I open a news feed, Apple news, whatever it might be, it's everywhere in there. So, yeah. All right. What do you want to hear more about in 2023?
1: I would like to hear more about institution building in the right way in 2023, because I think one of the things that we've seen over the past several years is this ironic convergence of both institutional self-protection that turns evil which is what we have seen with a lot of the tribalism, a lot of the abuse cover-ups, a lot of the ways that, I mean, even the cryptocurrency scams that you're talking about, ways that institutional structures can be used to harm, along Mm -hmm. with the evaporation of institutions. I mean, one of the reasons that we're in this time of demagogues and authoritarians is because we don't have political party structures Mm -hmm. to be able to, I mean, uh, FDR and Ronald Reagan came about, largely because there were grownups who were able to say, these are the kind of people who can win and who can lead. And we don't have a lot of that. So I think Mm -hmm. being able to see institutions that are accountable and don't have their own perpetuation as their primary goal, and yet are actually working. That's what Mm -hmm. I would like to see in
0: 2023. Yeah, mine is, I want to hear more about AI. The whole AI phenomenon, some of the stuff you're seeing, the ability of AI to write these papers, the art, the whole rest of it—that stuff's interesting. Its implications are, to me, very serious, very concerning. You know, there was a story a, a few weeks ago about police robots and and a desire to yeah. give them, you know, lethal authority. And I'm a child of the '90s. Like, I just want all these people to go watch RoboCop and Terminator and The Matrix again, (laughs) because all of this is going to end in tears. 2023, what do you want to hear less about?
1: I would love to hear less about Donald Trump in 2023. I don't expect that will happen. I have many friends who are saying, well, now is the time that the country's moving on from this. I don't buy it just because I've lived through that before with (laughs) Access Hollywood, with January 6th, with so forth. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the people who seem to be moving on, it's out of a really cynical sense of, well, this person isn't winning anymore, and and therefore we're just going to retroactively have this idea that we never were really with this. I would like to hear less about that and back to the real sorts of arguments that we might have as Americans about how to make the country better. I don't expect that to be the case, but it would be nice.
0: I heartily agree with that one. And I also heartily agree with the don't hold your breath sort of sentiment (laughs) in there as well, because I just look at it and I'd see Trump being Trump, doing, you know, even the NFT thing, goofy as it was. I just don't see him having put his foot on the gas yet. Maybe he won't. But he's not doing the rallies. He's not doing a lot of the stuff that tends to sort of drum up the base. And I think that should he decide to put his foot in the gas in that way, I think we'll see more of it. Mine, I'm going to get in trouble for this one, I think, with a lot of folks. I want to hear less about Taylor Swift next year. <laughs> I, I know people love Taylor Swift. She's incredibly talented. I get it. But I just personally don't necessarily get the degree <laughs> and uh, I, I had a friend I was talking to about this stuff the other day and it came up and I kind of rolled my eyes and he runs a small business and he and his wife and they cater primarily to women, the sort of boutique manufacturing thing that they do. And he said, what's crazy about the Swift phenomenon is that if you're in our world Literally, every small business, every business that caters to women had to do a Swift-inspired line this fall Mm. because it's all people were wanting to talk about. So I don't have that problem necessarily. I just feel like, man, it's just all Taylor Swift all the time, and I'm ready to move on. Let's get some new music going.
1: I, I laughed because there's a new biography of Merle Haggard that came out last year talking about in some of his final days, he was recording a song and the producer said, that just, I loved it because it was, it really sounded Merle Haggard. And uh, Haggard said, well, who the heck did you think was singing? Taylor Swift? And, uh <laughs> That was his contrast. And so I I tend to think of that every time I hear Taylor Swift now.
0: All right. Well, before we wrap this up, what would you say you look forward to most for 2023?
1: I look forward to churches healing. And I don't know that that will happen, but that's what I pray for, that a lot of the churches that are either literally divided or are just psychologically and spiritually tense, that there will be some healing and some renewing of mission.
0: Yeah, I'm somewhat optimistic about that. And I share that a little bit. I mean, one of the things I love about, I'm a big New Year's resolutions guy. I always sort of come to the new year and think about what do I want to commit myself to? And you know, I'm not one of these people that's like, here's my five goals and I track them or whatever. I'm just not organized enough to do that sort of thing. But- I think you see in scripture and you see in Christian tradition and you see in Jewish tradition as well as our sort of background this idea that there are seasons you know for a purpose and that there's sort of inflection points in our year Christmas New Year's Easter they're meant to be moments where we sort of pause and look ahead and I think as well, of the psalm, you know, his mercies are new each morning. I think that that goes for the new year as well. There's a new mercy for what's ahead. And my hope and prayer is that the church comes into this new year and seizes the opportunity to build something better and more beautiful. May it be. The Bulletin is a production of Christianity Today. It's executive produced by Eric Petrick. It's produced by Matt Stevens. It's hosted by Russell Moore and Mike Hosper. Azrae Phelps is our associate producer The show is edited and mixed by TJ Hester, graphic design by Brian Todd, additional design by Amy Jones, music by Dan Phelps, social media by Kate Lucky. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.